All right, if you have your Bibles, let's take them and open to Hebrews chapter 2 this morning. I know your heart's been delighted already. And uh, you know, there, there, there are times when people get up to say things and uh, they wonder if maybe they, you know, there's just been enough blessing already. And uh, those, this is one of those times I want to thank the choir and Ben and uh, all those folks who have, who have worked so hard with the music here. Uh, yes, I think it's worthy of a, of a round of applause. Thank you very much. Um, you know, one of the things that uh, I love about music is uh, I have a feeling when we get to heaven one day, we're just going to be so stunned to silence. Have you ever felt that? Have you ever been in the presence of such greatness that you just didn't even know what to say? You know, and I can see, uh, you know, the Grace Church of Men are corner. You know, there's the king, Jesus, and we're sitting there sort of absolutely overwhelmed. You know, and we're poking pastor to say something. Pastor, say something. <laughs> you know, for an our behalf, do something. And I can't help but think that he'll burst out with glory to God in the highest, or joy to the world, or hark the herald angels sing glory to the king. Uh, so these hymn writers give us, I think, some of the words we're going to have to pull on or pull from uh, in that day when we see the, the king in his second advent. Uh, this morning we celebrate his first advent, and I think it, we do well uh, to do so in worship of the little babe in a manger. Uh, he's worthy of your worship, even in the humble estate uh, and, and what he accomplished. Um, you know, Christmas, uh, the time when God became man, and I want us to just think about that a little bit. God becomes man. Um, we have a big theological word for that. It's called the incarnation. And, uh, and, and it's a word that um, is an English word that doesn't do good service to what's all going on at Christmas, uh, but it's the best word that we have. So you're going to hear me say that a little bit this morning, uh, but I want you to think about the idea of how God, or why, in fact, would God become a man? Certainly it inspires amazement and wonder, and well, it should. Tenderness and humility wrap the story of Mary, Joseph, and the babe. Not only warming the babe, but warming our own hearts in that tenderness and humility. Um, thoughtful observers realize God becoming man is a profound reality. And it raises some profound questions. The most fundamental of which, I think, is why. Why would God become a man? I enjoyed watching our homeschoolers do a play of the, uh, the Christmas story last night, and the children were helping us to understand the answer to the question, why? Why would God become man? Well, we're going to apply our thinking to that same question this morning. You know, the reality is, is that the Bible, the whole of the Bible, is essentially the answer to that question. Why would God become man. This morning, however, we're not going to look at the whole of the Bible. Uh, we're just going to look at Hebrews chapter 2 and its contribution to the answer of why, why would God become man? So if you have your Bibles, uh, hopefully you have them open there to Hebrews chapter 2. Um, 
We're going to be reading verses 9 through 14 together, just making some comments, and then hopefully some comments that you'll be able to carry with you uh, as you go into this Christmas season uh, with your family. Um, Hebrews chapter 2, verses 9 through 14. But we do see him, that's Jesus, who has been made for a little while lower than the angels. Because of the suffering of death, Jesus, because of the suffering of death, crowned him with glory and honor, that by the grace of God he might taste death for everyone. For it was fitting for him, for whom are all things, and through whom are all things, in bringing many sons to glory, to perfect the author of their salvation through sufferings. For both he who sanctifies and those who are sanctified are all from one Father, for which reason he is not ashamed to call them brethren, saying, I will proclaim thy name to my brethren. In the midst of the congregation, I will sing thy praise. And again, I will put my trust in him. And again, behold, I and the children whom God has given me. Since then the children share in flesh and blood, he himself likewise also partook of the same, that through death he might render powerless him who had the power of death, that is the devil, and might deliver those who through fear of death were subject to slavery all their lives. For assuredly he does not give help to angels, but gives help to the descendants of Abraham. Therefore, he had to be made like his brethren in all things, that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in things pertaining to God, to make propitiation for the sins of the people. For since he himself was tempted in that which he, was, he has suffered, he is able to come to the aid of those who are tempted. This morning, as we look at Hebrews 2, contribution to the answer of why would God become man, the author of Hebrews reports that at least one of the reasons for the incarnation is because the eternal salvation of your soul and my soul, and in fact, the soul of all of humanity, is paramount to the God of heaven. The eternal salvation of our souls is paramount to the God of heaven. And it is clear from God's perspective that the eternal safety of your soul and my soul brings, as the angel said, glory to God in the highest. You know, in Hebrews chapter 2, there are multiple expressions of the incarnation. And as I read through them, you may have been noting them in your own mind. But this idea of God becoming man several expressions. In verse 11, we read the little phrase that they are all from one. Uh, the point the author of Hebrews is making there is that those who are sanctified or those who are, who are helped and the helper, the sanctifier, are both from the same origination. It says here in your text of one father. Uh, you'll notice that in your text there it's in italics. Uh, it doesn't mean God the Father. It simply means that they have a common human origination. Uh, they are from one. In verse 14, we have another. 
kind of uh, uh, sort of getting in a little more down to the nitty-gritty. We understand that the Son of God, Jesus himself, and humanity share in the very flesh and blood together. It says there, share in flesh and blood. He himself, that's Jesus, likewise also partook of the same. This is an amazing statement of the solidarity that God now has with humanity in the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. Certainly God has paramount interest in the salvation of your soul and mine in sending his son, even to the degree of sharing in the very flesh and blood of who we are. This isn't some sort of a odd kind of a construction, a weird person in history who is born normally and then somehow has this sort of religious experience and he becomes Jesus somewhere in his life and then sort of stops becoming Jesus at some point and so he can die and no there is no sort of dual idea this is this is a man just like you and I of flesh and blood flesh and blood in verse 17 we have another expression he had to be made like his brethren in all things uh This like in all things was not one plan among a possible number of them. Uh, The the text is very clear here. The Bible says that he had to be made like his brethren. If there was to be an atonement, if there was to be a, a price paid for your sin and for my sin, God would have to become like you and I. He would have to be made flesh and blood. Uh, The incarnation of God to man was a necessity that he, the King of kings, the Lord Jesus, the second person of the Godhead, had to endure for you and for me if our soul is to be eternally safe. Another expression in verse number 18, it says this, that he himself was tempted in that which he suffered. You know, in the history of temptation, or in the kinds of temptation, this particular kind of temptation is an identifying mark of the temptation that those of us who live after Adam and Eve particularly endure. You know, since it was post-fall human beings, people who came after Adam and Eve, like you and me that needed help, Jesus had to experience the kind of temptation you and I endure. It's a temptation out of the context of living in a sin-cursed world. It's the kind of temptation that comes to you and me as a result of suffering, of going through difficult things, of, of in moments in time being faced with our mortality. Uh, that death is still a part of the human experience or, or reversals in our life or, or difficulties in relationships, these sufferings that exist that are part of the warp and woof of human experience and temptation that comes through those conduits is a very unique temptation. Uh, that was not the kind of temptation that Adam and Eve had to endure. They had no hardship. They had no suffering when Satan came to tempt them. Jesus didn't need to suffer like Adam and Eve in the pre-fall. It wasn't the kind of temptation that the angelic hosts faced 
Uh, when Lucifer raised himself up above God because he was particularly beautiful and uh, demanded to be worshipped like God himself, there was no suffering in heaven at that moment, in that temptation, as hordes of angels followed Satan to become demons in that moment. Uh, Jesus wasn't interested in helping angels. He wasn't interested necessarily in this kind of help with pre-fall humanity. But there's something about post-fall humanity that he just wants to help. And he does, gives help in a powerful, powerful way. So these are expressions of the incarnation. You know, the number of implications for the incarnation in this passage are so many. By heaping one on top of the other, the Holy Spirit communicates to us that uh, there is a paramount value in the mind of God to the eternal destiny of your soul and my soul. These implications remind us that behind the sentimentality and the heartwarming realities of the truths of Christmas and the Christmas story lies realities that are absolutely profound. They demand acceptance of God's character. They, may, they demand acceptance of God's irrefutable love. Now, perhaps you're somebody today who, in a weak moment, has charged God with the idea, God, you can't be a loving God because you've allowed, and you fill in the blank in my life. How can you be a loving God? Well, there's been something that has, has occurred historically, verifiably has required the sacrifice of God in a way that is truly eternal and infinite that settles the question of the love and interests of God for your soul and that is the incarnation and eventually the death of the Lord Jesus Christ my friends mark it down God loves you period now, all the other conundrums that exist in your life, we can talk about those. We can talk about how God allows some of these things or why he allows some of these things or what truly are the chargeable cause and author of those things. But know this, that God is not. He loves you. And he demonstrated in powerfully profound ways, particularly in the Incarnation. So the extent to which God goes to restore a relationship with you and me is nothing short of breathtaking. You know, the angels got it, <laughs> didn't they? You know, they meet these lowly shepherds. They just had to tell somebody. I mean, heaven was bursting with something that they couldn't fully understand. Remember, the angels don't get a second chance. They never had, they never will. It was one and done. The humanity gets all this chance and this grace, this word grace, that's so unfamiliar to the angelic realm, comes down in the person of a little helpless baby to humanity. And, and they had to go tell the archangel, the, the angel of the Lord declares these things and announces them to whoever they could find on the backside of a pasture. And it just so happened to be a bunch of lowly shepherds. And then folks... There has been no other announcement in all of Scripture that we know of that comes with this kind of backing from the angelic realm. Heavenly hosts, what is that? An innumerable amount, a choir to end all choirs, 
Sing glory to God in the highest and on earth. Peace to men on whom his favor rests. The children of Abraham is what our text calls them. These are those who have received the gift of the babe. Forgiveness, eternal life. This is amazing. Boy, we have a hard time getting what the angels got so clearly, don't we, sometimes? And uh, the author of Hebrews is trying to stir our heart in relationship to that. So what are some of the implications? I'll just read through them here. Verse 9, second half of the verse. God dies for everyone. That's profound. Verse number 10. God fulfills his desire for you to enjoy glory. Isn't that amazing? This is what God longs for you. You know, the Son of Man, the Lord Jesus Christ, is not the only one God intends to glorify. All of the, his sons those who have identified themselves with the person of the Lord Jesus Christ, believers, you and I, if you know Jesus Christ, will experience this kind of glorification. The incarnation is responsible for that. Verse 11, here's another one. Man becomes God's brother. Oh, think of that. Wow, that doesn't make us divine. But it does make us in a very wonderful, personal relationship to the God of heaven. Man becomes God's brother. Verse 14, the devil is rendered ultimately powerless. Isn't that a great joy and delight? He, his work is done. He, he's, he's been rendered powerless. Verse 15, you can actually, you are able not to sin. You know why that's so wonderful if you're in Christ? Because your life can actually begin to go from chaos to clarity. From confusion to simplicity, if you want. You have the ability to get in line with the God who created the universe, who knows what's absolutely best for everyone. And so, believer, you have the ability to begin to make much better choices and to please God and thereby enjoy clarity in your life, freedom from the fear of death and slavery to sin. Verse 17, man has a qualified priest in things pertaining to God. Verse 18, God's wrath for our sin is satisfied. And verse 18, I love, we have an experienced and masterful help to come to our aid when tempted. We already talked a little bit about that. Verse number 18. Christmas, the incarnation, proves the eternal salvation of a human soul is paramount to God. The simple question this morning, is the salvation of your soul paramount to you? It is to God. He proved that in the incarnation. If you don't know Jesus as your Lord and Savior, perhaps you're hearing some of these things for the first time and uh, you're saying, wow, that's kind of weird stuff. I've, I've never understood that about the little babe in a manger. Well, hopefully you have a little bit more of a glimpse. You can begin to understand that God loves your soul, that God wants you to be eternally saved with him in heaven forever. That's what he longs for. That's what he longs for. 
And you can find that in the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. The irony, however, the argument of Hebrews 2, believing friends, dear brothers and sisters, is that it's written to professing believers. This is for the church. The problem the author of Hebrews addresses is that inattention and neglect was threatening their very soul. You can look up at verse number, uh, chapter 2, verse 1. For this reason, we must what? Pay much closer attention to what we have heard. Verse 3, how shall we escape if we neglect inattention and neglect to our salvation? The message is pay attention. Stop neglecting your salvation, dear believer. This is the message of Christmas. That inattention and neglect is threatening. The competitors of feelings, perceived rights, definitions of justice, the difficulties of your life, temporal matters, you name it, those things can have gained control in how you go about making your decisions and how, about, and how you go about living your life. And the author of Hebrews is saying, nah, no. You know, I have in my mind a picture of, of uh, a president when he speaks. What's in front of a president when he speaks? A teleprompter, right? So there's always sort of this shield between him and who he's speaking to, or her, maybe one day. Uh, what is your teleprompter? The author of Hebrews says is there's a lot of things that you can put in between you and, and what's going on in your life. And the incarnation argues for putting the Lord Jesus Christ. The question of your eternal salvation is your teleprompter. It will teach you what to say to your wife or to your husband when things are going in a difficult way. It will teach you how to deal with reversals and difficulties in your life. Remember these people to whom the author of Hebrews is writing, they're undergoing severe persecution. The author of Hebrews is saying, look to your salvation. Find the data for life in an understanding of who Jesus Christ is and what he's done for you. So as we see the babe in the manger, and remember the tenderness and humility of the incarnation, may our hearts be filled with more than just sentimentality. May the wonder and amazement be, in a sense, a call to action for us as believers. May we take heaven's perspective. May sentimentality melt into a renewed desire and longing and understanding of what we possess in the incarnation. May Christmas be a time to begin to progressively put away our neglect of our salvation. That we would pay more attention to this so great a salvation that we have in the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. May that be the cause, or, or may that be the, the, the end product of the Christmas season this year. That you would know a little bit more about how great of salvation you truly have in the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. Let's pray together this morning. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for your goodness to us. Uh, the church possesses Christmas. Uh, we own this. We have this. It is ours. We, we can observe it from many different angles.
It's historic, it's verifiable, demonstrates, dear Father, that you love us with an everlasting love. It demonstrates that you long for our souls. You long for us to become what you've created us to be, uh, future rulers of the world. You long to restore us. And I pray, Lord, as we see that babe in a manger and, and the, 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 the miracles that accompany this season as we rehearse them, may they not just sort of get lost in the warmth and the sentimentality of things, uh, although that's a blessing, but may it cause us to think. Uh, for those who don't know Jesus as their Lord and Savior, may it cause them to, to think of their soul, of where they're headed, of, of where they will spend eternity and Perhaps discuss that with somebody who's brought them or somebody from our church here who could just sit down and open up the Bible and, and read some passages of Scripture that will help them to understand, Lord Jesus, who you are. We pray for that. We, we also pray for those of us who have been in Christ for decades. Lord, we are the ones who need to be stirred. stirred. We're the ones who need uh, to remember most powerfully our salvation at this time. And may it become more front and center in the way we live, how we think and how we act and how we feel. We thank you for our time together in Jesus' name. Amen. amen. This morning.